the nation's capital, this is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Sipes. Ladies and gentlemen, by our microphones today, Lorenzo Hopkins, a supervisory community supervision officer known elsewhere as a supervisory parole and probation agent from my agency, Court Services and Offender Supervision Agency, www.csosa.gov. Lorenzo, welcome to D.C. Public Safety. Thank you for having me, Lynn. Okay, today's topic is parole and probation officer stress. And as far as I'm concerned, this is one of the most ignored topics that you can possibly imagine. I see all the time, I witness all the effort to deal with police officer stress. And that's a, a mighty subject. And we know what's been happening throughout the country over the course of the last six months and in terms of fully integrating law enforcement in the community and the controversy that that has entailed. Uh, so everybody's looking at police officers. Nobody's looking at the stress of parole and probation agents. Am I correct or incorrect? You're correct, Leonard. Um, I've been in this business for over 20 years. And I've seen it change. Uh, what I mean by that is we're asked, probation and parole agents are asked to do more. Um, they're talking, the government is talking about reducing the prison population. Yes. Which is going to mean more people coming back on community supervision. Right. And when you have that, you're going to have those increased stressors. Again, uh, some of the population, the prison criminal um, probation population is getting more and more violent. They're mm-hmm. getting younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a national trend. Um, D.C., um, again, you can see the, the shootings going on the street, how young get, people are getting. And our agents are going out into the community and dealing with those in those environments, dealing with uh, people just released from prison, some of them, some fresh off probation. And really, there's no limited to no talk about the stress that they're uh, they undergo each day. Now, I have to. Just for the sake of grounding the people who are listening to this program, there are 5 million people on caught up in the criminal justice system on any given day in the correctional system. Two of those, 2 million, are involved in prisons and jails, which means the bulk are under community supervision with parole and probation agencies. So when you talk about corrections in America, when you talk about incarceration, when you talk about America's response to crime, the vast majority of America's response to crime are individuals assigned to parole and probation agents, correct? That's correct. When we have a large, a huge impact as it relates to um, attempting to reduce recidivism, what that entails today was much different than it was when I entered the business uh, over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I first started, you simply received a court order, and it told you um, pay restitution, do community service and things. We made sure they did that. Right. But we've since transitioned to uh, CBI, cognitive behavior intervention, yes. uh, motivational interviewing. Yes. And now you have to take those 4,000 people. Most agencies have trans- trended that way. Mm-hmm. And you have, instead of going by checking boxes saying they're completed, no, you have to actually change behavior and change thinking patterns. When I was first involved in the correctional system, and we're talking about a quarter of a century ago, uh, I was told by parole and probation for the agency that I represented, which was the Maryland Department of Public Safety, uh, that our role in parole and probation is to enforce the will of the court and enforce the will of the parole, uh, of the parole commission. That was it. I mean, it was, wasn't talking about changing individuals. It wasn't talking about 
talking about intervening in their lives. It wasn't talking about providing them with the support they they needed to deal with their substance abuse, deal with their mental health issues, deal with their re- reunification of their children. Um, it was simply to enforce the will of the parole commission and enforce the will of the courts. Now, as you've just said, it's much more than that. What we have to do is to intervene, is to get into the lives of individuals under community supervision to find out what makes them tick, what makes them angry, what their issues are, what their hopes and dreams are, and try to provide wraparound programs to support that individual. So the mission of being a parole and probation agent has changed dramatically just within the last 10 years. Certainly it has. And what hasn't changed is, is the fact that we're still required to put public safety first. Yes. That, that's primary, but I would say our biggest job now is being change agents. Right. Um, change agents, and if a person has, meeting a person where they are, CBI. Um, what cognitive, tip, behavior, cognitive behavior intervention, right. Cognitive what, behavioral intervention. Okay. Yes. What, what happens, and in, in, we used to just take people and say, okay, the court says you need to go to substance abuse treatment. Right. Now you have to say, is that person ready to go to substance abuse treatment? Mm-hmm. And if that person is not ready, you're wasting money. Mm-hmm. That's what research has shown. If you make a person just go to treatment for the sake of going to treatment, right? they will program, as we call it. They will go through a program, complete it, mm-hmm. just to satisfy it. And they still have the same cognitive thinking, the negative thinking right. um, that they used to have. And eventually they go back to using. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the people under supervision before we get on to parole and probation agent stress. Um, the the vast majority of people under supervision have histories of substance abuse, and in many cases, really raging histories of substance abuse. I've seen surveys where up to 50% of the offender population have histories of mental health problems. Uh, lack of job history, did not do well in school, uh, many with antisocial attitudes. Uh, if you talk to women caught up in the criminal justice system, as I have uh, before these microphones, uh, the great majority have had histories of sexual violence directed at them um, as children, uh, as teenagers, by people they know. The point is, is that they bring an awful lot of baggage to the table and then suddenly they come and they sit in front of Lorenzo Hopkins and Lorenzo Hopkins has got to somehow some way break through all those barriers deal with all of the issues that that person brings to the table and do it in such a way that that does not make him crazy correct that's correct because right now when we we talk about dealing with the substance abuse issues you spoke about and I'm glad you prefaced it by the other issues the trauma and things of that nature Mm -hmm. For years, we've, when I say we've, probation and pro, we've treated the symptom. The symptom was substance abuse. Right. But we never really got to the underlying trauma. A, a, a brief story I was briefly assigned to the mental health branch right. as a supervisor. And I had this older lady, mid 50s maybe, and she was a, a heroin user for years. Mm-hmm. And she and I had a conversation, and she kept getting violated. That's when the parole commission, if you violated substance abuse, they will, you would get um, violated and go back and go come back, back with supervision. Right. Correct. Uh, I sat down one day in my office and said, tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. She said, you're the first person who asked me about what's going on instead of just saying you need to stop using heroin. Mm-hmm. Then she went into a story about being sexually molested as a child mm-hmm. and all those things. And I'm like, wow, if we don't treat that trauma, we're failing with some, we're going to fail with substance abuse. 
You know, we've increased our rate of successful completions here at the Court Services and Offender Supervision Agency from about 62 to about 69%. Um, and our rearrest rates have been down um, as of late. And, and so obviously we're moving in the right direction, but we have a 50 to 1 caseload. I know of parole and probation agents in various states that have 100 to 1, 150, 200 to 1, and more. When you're carrying a caseload of 150 or 200 individuals caught up in the criminal justice system, it doesn't strike me as that person having a snowball's chance in Hades of actually breaking through those barriers and to meaningly intervene in the lives of the human beings under supervision. Uh, That If they're talking about doing cognitive behavioral therapy, as you said, getting into the heart and soul as to why people are doing certain things and training them as to how to deal with those problems, when you have a caseload of 200 to 1, that seems to me to be impossible. It's it's pretty, it's extremely difficult, and that's where a lot of stress come in. Even with caseloads in D.C. being 50 to 1, if you could imagine, let me put you in a probation officer's seat on a reporting day. Mm-hmm. On a reporting day, let's say it's Thursday. You may have 30 of your people coming in on that day mm-hmm. for drug testing, to talk, speak to you. Could you imagine hearing 30 different trauma stories every day and the kind of stress you would take home with you every day? But that's just it. That's what people do not realize, that those 30 people, and we half of our contacts need to be made in the community. So you could be walking through the community and see your person under supervision. You could be going into their home. It could be a surprise visit. You could be taking along a police officer with you. Um, so, so all you're hearing all day long is trauma, 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 correct? That's absolutely correct. How do you escape that? Well, the thing is, typically, most people don't. They don't recognize it. And that's one thing I talk to my staff about right now, and even being in diagnostics. People think, you know, that they are the report writers. Mm-hmm. They don't have to hear it. They don't have to see defendants. But could you imagine interviewing someone at the local jail, interviewing someone at the office, and, and they're telling you about the trauma they suffered, the sexual abuse they suffered, um, seeing their sibling murdered, their mother murdered, and you read that day in and day out, that's secondary trauma. And I don't think people pay much attention to secondary trauma. But that trauma, if you're going to get into the heart and soul of that person, if you're going to use cognitive behavioral therapy and intervene in the life of that person, you've got to somehow, some way take on the emotions that that person is talking about. It cannot be just, I dismiss it at the end of the day, I'm going to go home and have a beer and walk the dog and play with the kids. That trauma stays with you. It's inevitable that that trauma is going to stay with you to some degree. Well, well, to be human, it, it has to. The, the problem, Lynn, is a lot of people don't know what the symptoms look like. They think going home and just having a beer or two is normal. Mm-hmm. That could be their way of coping. Mm-hmm. You have, you've seen research about law enforcement professionals, correction officers, they end up with um, substance abuse problems, uh, drugs and alcohol to cope. There are higher rates I've seen of substance abuse amongst people in our profession than in terms of the larger society. Absolutely, because people's, that's a coping mechanism. Some people can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. You look at the divorce rate mm-hmm. among people in our profession also, mm-hmm. because you take things home. A, a quick story, before I start working in probation and parole, I worked as an administrator at a juvenile detention facility. 
And I went home after hearing this stuff and seeing these kids every single day who weren't doing well. And you know what I did? What? My wife, I was a young married guy. Yeah. And I said, I don't want any children. <laughs> Seriously. And my wife said, honey, are you serious? These are, these are just the children you see. All children aren't like that. And I tell that story to say, when you are j- start to become jaded in this business, you start to become skeptical of everybody, everyone. It's, it takes its toll on you. I've always said after 45 years in the criminal justice system, I've become a cynic. Um, I see the world differently than the average person because I understand man's inhumanity towards man. Um, we had a woman at a conference one time um, dealing with women caught up in the criminal justice system who stood up in the conference and said, the woman I'm live with pulled a knife on me last night and pulled a knife on me and my child. And we had a huge argument and I had to get out of there. Uh, I now have no place to live. I now have a child and I now have to go back and get my private possessions out of this apartment from a woman who pulled a knife on me. And then she took a look at everybody in the hall and said, now, what are you going to do for me to help me out of this situation? I mean, that's what our people deal with every single day, correct? That's correct. And when you have young officers uh, just into the business or even some more seasoned ones, if you get it, get that every day, you're in crisis. I call it crisis mode every day. Yeah. Because you never know what's going to happen. Right. Again, before I went to diagnostics, mental health, I had my day planned out most days, Mm -hmm. but it never failed. Someone came in, they start to decompensate. One of my, my, one of my staff and I had to either take them to, um, CPEP to the, for the clinician to deal with, to, mm-hmm. to bring in a medicine, to admit them. But your days are not yours. Mm-hmm. And then you run into another stressor is when you try to get help, as you talk about the young lady mm-hmm. at the uh, meeting you were at. Mm-hmm. Take that and multiply that by decreasing city budgets and town budgets right. when there really is no housing out there. Right. Yeah, finding housing for people caught up in the criminal justice Absolutely. system is really and then difficult. You, you try to put them in a shelter. The shelter could be full. Then you have women and children, which is a whole another sure. difficulty trying to place because there are limited resources. Well, you know, my phone number is the only phone number um, on the website, and I get calls at night. I get calls on the weekends. Uh, why is my person on? Why is my son on probation? Why did my son just taken to jail? What, what's happening with my son? He was supposed to go to this rehab clinic, and and he's not doing well. And now he's out. Are you guys going to um, get? A warrant for his arrest. I mean, there's a certain point. It's like, folks, you know, I I can't just do this every night. I can't do it every weekend. I've got my own life to live, but you can't tell them. No, you cannot not listen to them. I mean, if I'm experiencing that and I'm the spokesperson for the agency, what are you all going through? Well, that, that's a huge stressor. And when I first went, left mental health and went to diagnostics, my staff, when at my first meeting, were saying, well, Ms. Hopkins, we're working on Weekends and evenings trying to get these reports done. I said, that stops today. Yes. That stops today. Because I understand that you have to have healthy work-life balance. Mm-hmm. That's extremely important in this business. Because what happens is I found myself doing it. And I'm not telling you something I'm thinking about or guessing about. Mm-hmm. I found myself with my BlackBerry on at my child's karate yes. meeting contest. Yep. Um, I found myself checking a newspaper to see if uh, a defendant was ever locked, arrested and what do I have to face tomorrow. And every time somebody goes out and commits a homicide or commits a crime, you're sitting 
sitting there going, oh, my God, I hope he's not on my caseload. And you take exactly. And you take that your eight hour day. Just average eight-hour day, mm-hmm. and you go home and you take it home with you. That's 24 hours a day besides the time you're sleeping that you're dealing with something about CSOSA or, or your probation about this profession. Well, I, we're halfway through the program. I do want to reintroduce you, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking to Lorenzo Hopkins, a supervisory community supervision officer with my agency, our agency, the Court Services and Offender Supervision Agency, www.csosa.gov. Uh, we're talking about parole and probation officer stress. Lorenzo, you went to the American Parole uh, Probation and Parole Association in Los Angeles, uh, and you gave a seminar on uh, parole and probation officer stress. Uh, what are the key points of your address uh, in Los Angeles dealing with a national audience on this topic? Well, one thing we have to realize is that, and, and, I, and I, I actually said it like this, oftentimes in this business, we take far too much credit for people's success mm-hmm. and far too much blame for their failures. Yep. We're always looking at something that, well, did I do this? Did I do that? Mm-hmm. And we can't be, we, we, we try to be, but we are human, and you can't be everything to everyone. That's one. Two, when you leave your work and you're not on duty, the biggest mistake people make is leave that cell phone or BlackBerry on. Mm-hmm. They check it religiously. Mm-hmm. I told them in L.A. that actually it's an addiction. Yep. It's an addiction. Yep. Because you find yourself in conversation with people you're looking at, you're checking your work phone. Mm-hmm. And when that occurs, you're actually cheating your family. Mm-hmm. Because your family deserves some you time. Some work-life balance. Right. And you also deserve some time away because sure. you can't continue at that pace. Right. You can't. You'll be surprised how many people, Lynn, that work for me that I have to make take vacation. Mm. You know the, the, what you can carry over in the government, two, mm-hmm. 240 hours, yep. whatever the case yep. may be? I'm sitting down with them doing a life plan. You need to take off some days. But we do, I do want to emphasize this, is that our rate of successes here at Court Services and Offender Supervision Agency is going up. So we are succeeding in getting people to do the right thing. And I understand that there's no such thing as the perfect offender on supervision. I understand that they all bring a tremendous amount of issues with them, in particular substance abuse. Um, But we have done a better job. We have been able to get into the lives of individuals. We've gotten into the lives of their families. We have helped them deal with all the different things that they had to deal with to the point where our success rate is going up. What toll is that taking on what we call community supervision officers? It's taking a tremendous toll simply because we have to we, – we talked about earlier, we put a lot of effort into – uh, CBI, cognitive behavior intervention, right. motivational interviewing, things that change the thinking of the offender or defendant population. Mm-hmm. The problem is, as, as you, you alluded to earlier, there's not a lot of research or anything about the people who actually do the work. Yep. We have to really start to think as managers. I'm a, I'm a supervisor. Mm-hmm. Take a look at your people and start speaking to them about how are things impacting them. Does Talk it make them your, your employees. Yes. Yeah, my employees. You have to start talking to your employees the same way you want them to invest in the offender population. Right. You must invest in them. You've you, got to do the same thing for them. You have to because guess what? A lot of these guys, ladies and gentlemen, are young. Yep. They're young. They, half of the stuff they're reading about or talking to the defenders about, they haven't lived it. 
But it's interesting. They are college educated. Everybody comes to us with a bachelor's degree. Uh, the, the great majority of our agency uh, have master's degrees. Um, some have above. That's a very well-educated um, workforce that we have. But they're still people. Yes. Regardless of their education, regardless of their understanding, regardless of the grounding, they're still people subject to the same levels of stress as any police officer, as anybody in any profession. And that's true, Lynn, because you, you alluded to also the national epidemic, what's going on um, between law enforcement and a lot of many communities. Mm-hmm. In that whole conversation, you don't hear people talking about probation and parole. Because guess what? We're in the community also. Right. We ha- we're there daily. Right. We're engaging people in conversations. So if you see a police officer is law enforcement, we're law enforcement also. So that same sense of heightened expectations and anxiety when we go into some of the worst neighborhoods in our cities, mm-hmm. it's there. It's natural. Sure. The hair stands up on the back of your neck. It rubs off on everybody, whether you're a police officer or whether you're a parole and probation agent. The trauma that you deal with, you could not simply separate that from your life. There's just no clean break. Uh, and, And you've got to acknowledge the fact that this exists. Right, and that's why it's imperative on on me to on partners being partners. We have a partnership with people you work with. If if your supervisor doesn't do it, look out for your colleague. Mm-hmm. Look out for your coworker. You could see when they're under undue stress. Mm-hmm. You can speak to them about it. Most of our friends, let's be honest, in law enforcement, you've been in law enforcement a long time. Mm-hmm. There are other law enforcement people. So guess what we talk about when we go out? Oh, yeah. Good job. We sit there and we gripe about um, the the criminal justice system. We gripe about um, uh, those idiots at headquarters. And I always laugh because then I became an idiot at headquarters uh, as as a spokesperson for, again, Maryland Department of Public Safety. But the point is, is that we sat there and we griped and we drank too much. And there was no release. We we drank too much. Right. Um, and, and, And I'm not quite sure when I went home from one of these drinking too much griping too much sessions i'm not quite sure i felt a whole heck of a lot better no because guess what if you're anything like i used to be when i entered the business is that i still thought woke up middle night thought about did i do this right did i do that right maybe i should have done this differently because we are talking about the lives of people people in crisis and there's no way of leaving that behind you have to acknowledge that deal with it and come to grips with the tools that help you cope with it and and alcohol or drugs certainly is not part of that coping mechanism right and you have to balance that that, when i talk about work-life balance work-life balance isn't splitting time between work and life work-life balance is what's important to you Mm mm-hmm if you're a person who loves playing golf, mm-hmm. make some time out, take some time out of your week to play some golf. Yep, play that golf. You deserve that because you need a release. If you're not going to release doing something you enjoy, you're going to release it doing something destructive, i.e., uh, drinking too much. Okay. Now, what I was taught years ago, um, I was told when I entered in the law enforcement, take meditation, take classes on meditation, learn how to meditate. Uh, I was taught to talk to your spouse. Uh, a lot of us, when we bring work home, when we come home, we don't want to talk about work. The last thing in the world we want to talk about is work. But if you're in a bad mood and if you're affected by your experiences throughout the course of the day, you owe it to your spouse to tell your spouse what was what's going on. So there are tools for coping. Absolutely. Lynn. I, I, we do the same thing in my household. I've been in business, business a long time. My wife and I give each other 15 minutes apiece. To vent about work. Oh. To that's, decompress. That's a great idea. After that, huh? 
It's over. <laughs> but well, we, no, but but we have what... to have that because she understands that my job is stressful. She She's an accountant, but she also has those stressors also. Sure. And she needs to understand if my husband comes home in a not-so-good mood, mm-hmm. what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we don't use names. Of course not. Uh, you know, because that's privacy. But but we also are human because you can't take it. We would like to take your hat off when you get home. And that's all I'm thinking about home. Our lives blur and they blend all the time. Sure. Well, it's like the woman who I talked to at one time about her history of sexual abuse. And, and she just said, you know, I was raped multiple times before the age of 18 by family members and people who I know. Who, who I knew. And then she just looked at me in, in front of the same microphone you're sitting in front of now and said, now, what is the system going to do for me in terms of my trauma? And it's like, I'm one human being, excuse me. I mean, I can't undo the fact that you were raped multiple times before the age of 18. I mean, that's what our folks go through every single day. Right. And the, the difference is, though, we have to get to the point where we recognize when we've had too much, I'm not talking about retiring. I'm talking about having taking leave. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about making sure you have your supervisor, having your people schedule leave before the end of the year, because they need some time away and apart to spend with their family. I encourage it. When I speak to my staff at mid year or whenever I talk about work life balance, what are you doing for you and your family? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to improve yourself outside of work? Mm-hmm. Uh, that way I keep that on in the forefront of their mind to let them know it's not only about work, mm-hmm. you know, but you can tell it in law enforcement because the person becomes too aggressive. Yes. And you can tell it when the person apprehends somebody and instead of just cuffing them, they're slammed against the police car. And that's the point where you've got to walk over. And we did, whether people believe it or not, walk over to that person and say, you know, Johnny, you're taking this too far. You need to back off. Do you want me to finish this? What is that stress level? What do you see in terms of parole and probation agents? What I see typically what happens when I see stress is, they're short-tempered. When I say short-tempered, I don't mean exploding, but their conversations with even the, the uh, defender or offender population, mm-hmm. you, you can tell it becomes so certainly desensitized. I'm going to start going through the motions like a robot. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do the job because I have to, but I'm not really caring. And people can feel when you don't care. Mm-hmm. So when it gets to the point where it starts to become um, not a good situation, I typically... Have the defendant wait if I hear it from my staff, pull them aside, hey, decompress, take a deep breath, and, and just relax a little bit. Because sometimes we have to recognize the symptoms, not us, because if I don't, sometimes you won't see you don't see yourself in a situation. Yes. But as colleagues, we have to make sure we're paying more attention of what to what's going on because you'll start seeing uh, offenders stop coming in. And and that hurts the mission. Yes. And that, that hurts the bottom line in the same way that the police officer being overly aggressive hurts the bottom line because he's breaking confidence with the community. We on the front lines, you all on the front lines, whether you be parole and probation agents or whether you be police officers, people need to understand how unbelievably stressful these jobs are. People need to provide some space, work-life balance, and some tools in terms of whether it's deep breathing exercises, whether it's meditation, whether it's talking to your wife, whether it's playing that game of golf. Everybody needs to come to grips with that stress is enormous and that stress exists in all folks caught up in the criminal justice system. Right. I think I think what gets lost when you're talking about um, probation and pro professionals, that's what I like to call us, Mm -hmm. is that 
we wear so many hats mm-hmm. because you got to realize we're the person who, in most jurisdictions, they can make up, they have arrest powers. Mm-hmm. And this one, you do reports. You, you um, can actually, it's an awesome responsibility to be able to take someone's freedom. They gave it to you more or less. Right. However, however, but what we have to really start to start to understand is that the people who do that are are humans and they don't want to take people's freedom but when you start dealing with non-compliance it doesn't make people happy so when you go to that house the next time to do a visit how are you going to be received you don't know that because yep. guess what that person just got released from prison as you heard a report mm-hmm. that got him sent back uh for two or three years right Right, right. But that's the part of the stress and part of the dilemma of being a parole and probation agent. Again, what we call community supervision officers here in the District of Columbia is that cognitive intervention, um, you've got to get into the mind, get into the heart of that person, build bond, build trust. But at the same time, you have that responsibility to protect public safety and send them back to prison if necessary. Absolutely. That's a, you know, no therapist on the face of the earth would work under those circumstances. Could you imagine wearing all those hats? No. Because you have a hat, you're a social worker one day. and No, not one day. One second. Yep. The next second, you're saying, oh, you're violated, that this is unacceptable. Right. You, i got to put an AVR violation report in. Right. So those are those fine balances that a lot of people don't understand. The difference between us and police officers, mm-hmm. again, great work. A police officer can arrest someone on the street. They turn her to the court, and that's it. And walk away that's from it. it entirely. You've got them for the next five years. And I have to deal with that. If they go in and out, in and out, I'm still the person who's there. You've got to deal with them for the next five years, which is stressful unto itself. Lorenzo Hopkins, I'll tell you, this has been a fascinating conversation. Lorenzo is a supervisory community supervision officer for my agency, Court Services and Offender Supervision Agency. We've been talking today, ladies and gentlemen, about parole and probation agent stress. Lorenzo, I really want to thank you for a fascinating conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, our website, www. CSOSA.gov, www.csosa.gov. This is DC Public Safety. We appreciate your comments and we even appreciate your criticisms, as stressful as they may be. <laughs> I want everybody to have themselves a very pleasant day. Thank you.